Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Industry Focus. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. You can post a job today at linkedin.com slash fool and get $50 off your first job post. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Tuesday, May 14th, and we're talking about MLMs. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I've got Fool.com's Dan Klein with me on Skype. Dan, what's going on? Uh, not too much. Here in uh, West Palm Beach, we've moved from summer to super summer, where it's impossible to go outside unless you're going to the beach or the pool. <laughs> Here in D.C., we haven't decided whether we're in spring, summer, or fall, it seems. We've been dealing with a ton of rain. It's been pretty dreary here, Dan. It's actually rained a lot here, too. We have these like weird things where I was in the pool, it's raining, there's not a cloud in the sky. I get out of the pool, it's torrential. By the time I get three floors down on the elevator back to my condo, it's perfectly nice again. So, <laughs> I've got family that lives on the Gulf side of Florida, and they say, you know, if it's raining and you don't like it, just wait 20 minutes. Yeah, that's often how it is. <laughs> well, Dan, I'm having you on today because I wanted to do a show on... Maybe a concept that some people are a little familiar with, the idea of a sin stock. Um, and this is something that is often applied to the tobacco, alcohol, gambling field where you know you have companies that are putting stuff out that people may have some moral objections to and they don't want to put their investing dollars behind. Um, and I want to enter a different category of company to the sin stock uh, consideration because I have some objections to what is going on in the MLM or multi-level marketing space. You know a little bit about this, and I wanted to bring you on to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. So, multi-level marketing is something we've all probably been exposed to. If you've ever been to one of those parties where there's games, and then at the end of it, they're trying to show you a bunch of merchandise and sell you stuff. Maybe it's uh, Tupperware. Maybe it's, uh, so sadly, adult toys has been a popular one. Maybe it's uh, nutritional items. And it's a business model that works based on commission salespeople, non-salaried salespeople, getting paid based on how much they sell and recruiting new people into the organization to sort of create you know, a pyramid. We'll, we'll, we'll delve deeper into the word pyramid later, where the person at the top gets a cut from everyone from the bottom. So you only make money if you're selling, but the company makes money in a variety of different ways involving sometimes you pay joining fees, sometimes you have to buy product, sometimes you have to buy kits for these parties. And it's really a very appealing idea to people because it's owning your own business. But there are a lot of caveats to that. Yeah. And importantly, you can also make money once you have people underneath you, aka downlines, uh, who are buying product to sell to the general public, theoretically. Um, this is very often referred to as direct selling, social selling, network marketing. There are a lot of different names for it. They all kind of broadly fall under the multi-level marketing umbrella, though. Um, one of the first things that you immediately hear people ask when you're talking to MLMs is, <laughs> are MLMs a scam? So, Scam is a tough word. It can be a scam, but sometimes it isn't. And it's really just, are you good at selling? So if you're someone who's very comfortable starting with your friends and family and not only having them over or going to their house and selling them stuff, stuff they may need and stuff they may not need, but also willing to recruit people into that and then sort of continually develop a new market. So at first, you know, let's pretend I'm selling nutritional supplements. Well, I could call all my friends and, and have an event and maybe the first week I do really well. But how long is it until I've exhausted not just my friends, but my friends of friends of friends? So 
it's not a scam, but it's often presented as the way it works for the best, you know, the top 1%. The the videos show people like on yachts or driving fancy cars or being flown into conventions and, you know, all sorts of exciting stuff and rah-rah. And the reality is that is possible, but it's not likely for most people. And honestly, it's the same if you went to any sales job where you're being paid by commission. If you're a newspaper salesperson and you're not good at selling, you're probably not going to succeed in sales. And multi-level marketing companies, it's much more complicated because you're not getting leads. You sort of have to do every piece of the business yourself. And in many cases, you have to explain a product that isn't necessarily something people want, even if it is something that would be useful to them. And there are some telltale signs of MLMs that are more in the scam category. I think ultimately you want to look at the stuff that you're selling and its utility. You know, there are some MLMs where you're truly selling a good product. You know, it's something that is useful, it's something that people want. You know, it's in the kitchenware space. You know, Tupperware is a great example of that, where people legitimately want this. There are some other ones where you're you're kind of in the supplement game, you're in nutritional stuff. And there are some dubious claims about what the product is capable of doing. I think that's a red flag. A- absolutely. You you want to sell things that people would have bought otherwise or that would replace other expenses for them, not things that you have to put a hard sell on. The other major red flag is do you have to fill your garage with a lot of inventory? If you constantly have to buy merchandise to maintain your discount or meet a status, that's not a great sign. You want to be in a situation where if this is something for you, where you have to order a minimal amount of product or test kits or or samples, where you can show it to people and then take orders. That puts the risk back on the company. As opposed to if you have to buy a whole bunch of stuff that's not returnable, all of a sudden, what does the company care if you sell it or not? You've already bought a bunch of stuff and you might continue to buy it just to meet your status level and sort of stay where you are. So you really want to monitor how much money you have to put out in order to go into this type of business. Right, because the the common criticism of MLMs is that many of them operate seemingly like a closed system, which is an economic term. It basically explains how the people that are the end customers of a product are within an organization. They are not the general population. So rather than products funneling from uh, the company to the distributors out to John Q. Public, uh, they wind up going from the company to the distributors and then sitting there. And so, if, right. the, if the bulk of the sales are happening because of that, and the company doesn't really seem to care where the product goes once it goes to the distributor, another red flag. Right. The biggest goal of the company should be growing its audience with the public, not growing its distributor base to continue selling to distributors. Uh, that you can't make money if this doesn't go beyond your immediate circle. And one of the things you want to think about is, is the public aware of this product? Has there been some advertising or some marketing? Does the company have a robust social media that isn't just you? Or is the entire sales proposition for this recruiting new salespeople? Right. That That is kind of the telltale sign that you might want to give it a harder look. And I think this is something that people are increasingly encountering because a lot of these MLMs are telling people, you know, post on social media, you know, you know, get it out there and tell your friends and family about it um, and become an evangelist for this brand. And uh, not only are people seeing it in social media, I mean, it's showing up more and more because it's a pretty big chunk of economic activity. Looking at some data from the Direct Selling Association, in 2017, direct selling made up just about $35 billion in retail sales, and there were 18.6 million Americans involved in direct selling activity in one way or another. 
Both those numbers slightly down from 2016, but still pretty big, Dan. It's really obvious why this has an appeal. So pretend you're a stay-at-home parent and you used to work, you're used to making money. This is something you could in theory do very part-time. You might spend an hour a day organizing an event, hold the event you know, one or two nights a month, and in theory, the money comes in. The problem is the reality for most people is that A, they're bugging their friends by inviting them to a, a party to come over and buy stuff that they may not want. And when they exhaust their immediate contacts, all of the reasons you're not at work in the first place come into play. If you're a stay-at-home parent looking for a side hustle, are you really meeting a lot of new people so you can continue to grow your business? That's a real big challenge. Are you the type of person who walks up to a stranger and says, hey, would you like to set up a party so I could sell meal plans or nutritional supplements or Tupperware or whatever it is to their friends? That's not an easy thing to do, but wow, owning a business and making your own money, I can see why people go for that. Yeah, and early on with a lot of these organizations, there is quite a bit of fertile ground, right? You know, if there are not a lot of people out selling a specific kind of product and you enter the market as a salesperson, it's going to be a lot easier for you to sell that product if you're instead the 10th person in a relatively small town right. or, you know, smaller area that is trying to sell something, well, that market's going to be kind of saturated already. Yeah, and you also have to believe in what you're selling. I had a friend who sold children's books through a multi-level marketing company, and they were good books. She liked the books. She actually did a really good job selling them, and, and she had been a teacher, so she had a very broad network. And for a number of years, she made a nice side income. The problem is, at some point, her kids aged out, and then it became harder to meet people and continue to grow that business. So you really have to think about what your addressable audience is and how you're going to deal with the fact that your next-door neighbor could become a distributor too, and all of a sudden you're competing for the same people. Right, and a lot of people are incentivized to bring more people into the fold, right? Which makes which actually <laughs> creates more competition. So if, if you and I, if, if I'm selling something and I recruit you to it, well, a lot of the same people, who, I mean, obviously we, we know lots of different people, but we also know a lot of the same people. So we'd both be approaching people and saying, hey, you want to come to a party to buy whatever it is? Uh, you know, and at some point, the audience has either bought everything they want, they've sat through all the courtesy parties they want to, and there does become consumer fatigue, and then there's sort of fights over the like reorders, and it is a very competitive thing where you're sort of also building your own competition as you grow your network. Yeah, as these get larger and larger, it gets harder and harder, and for these more established ones, it's very difficult for new salespeople to make meaningful amounts of money. Uh, John M. Taylor is a researcher over at the Consumer Awareness Institute, spent years studying MLMs, and he has a report, The Case For and Against Multilevel Marketing, available on the Federal Trade Commission's website. From it, of the 350 MLMs I've analyzed for which a complete compensation plan was available, 100% of them are recruitment-driven and top-weighted. In other words, the vast majority of commissions paid by MLM companies go to a tiny percentage of TOPPS, top of the pyramid promoters, at the expense of a revolving door of recruits, 99% of whom lose money. And, and that losing money comes when you factor in all the expenses that go into running a business like this. You know, not only do you have product, but you have, you know, whatever you're going to be putting out for these parties, whether it's food, alcohol, flyers, you know, you're going to be creating a website, all this kind of stuff. And when all of that starts to add up, at slim margins on some of these products, it becomes very hard to make a meaningful amount of money. 
And what this shows is that it is possible for the top 1% to make money. And sometimes, uh, generally, that involves recruiting a lot of people under you. But sometimes it is just being a really good salesperson. So it's not impossible, but it's improbable. If if you find yourself needing a, a side hustle and you're a salesman in your day-to-day job or have a history of being able to do cold calling and sales, well, this might be better than other side hustles for you. But if you've never sold before, and trust me, I I have sold. It, It is a difficult, difficult thing to do. So think about how willing you are to ask your friends and family and then strangers to spend money. And it's easier to do that if you believe in the product, but it's also hard to do that when you know that someone is maybe spending money they can't afford, or maybe the product isn't quite a perfect fit for them. So you really have to think about your willingness to, you know, to be competitive and be a salesperson, and that's not for everyone. All right, Dan, we are going to pull some stats from a few major MLMs just to give a sense of what the numbers look like and the earnings that people have on them, one of the main reasons why I have an objection to this industry. But before we get over to that conversation, when it's time to make a hire for your small business, naturally you want to find the best person for the job. Odds are that person is on LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. The service uses knowledge of both hard skills and soft skills to match you with the people who fit your role best. Remember, people come to LinkedIn every day to learn and advance their careers, so LinkedIn understands what they're interested in and what they're looking for. Which means when you use LinkedIn Jobs to hire someone, your matches are based on so much more than just a resume. And customers rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality, discover job opportunities. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash fool and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Dan, we have that big industry number from the researcher, but I want to get into what some of these companies put out in terms of estimated compensation because I think that it is perhaps even more telling than the broad stroke number that we just threw out there. Yeah, and I think it's important as we bring up specific company names to note that it's hard to find these statistics for specific companies. So we're not calling out these couple of companies just because we're deciding to pick on them. We're calling them out because they're actually sharing their information and putting it out there, and they're in line with the broader numbers we saw on the research you cited earlier. Right. And and the first one we're going to talk about is Herbalife. Uh, This is a company that sells nutritional products, and it has been in the news a ton (laughs) recently. Um, I mean, the the hedge fund managers, Bill Ackman and Carl Icahn, have just been duking it out for quite some time on this company. It's been kind of a controversial name, Dan. Yeah. I mean, Bill Ackman basically said, this is going to go to zero. He doesn't believe in the business model. um, And he felt it was a scam. The reality, and Carl Icahn said, no, this is a legitimate multi-level marketing company selling a legitimate product. And the reality is, it didn't go to zero. The stock has been doing reasonably well. But when you dig into the numbers, they do show sort of what we were talking about before. Only 14% of its its members, its salespeople, its reps, whatever you want to call them, made any money. <laughs> and half of those made less than $245. Only 10% made more than $4,350. So that's maybe a little bit better than the 1% model. But if you look at people who are actually making a living, it's probably a very tiny percent of those 1%. So 
yes, you can make money selling this, but clearly the path with Herbalife to make money is very, very difficult for most people. Yeah, Dan, and those numbers that you cited were from 2016, the company's statement of average gross compensation. To give you a sense of how big their distributor base is, uh, that is over 400,000 people we're talking about. So, so when you talk about over 80% of U.S. membership not receiving any earnings, that's several hundred thousand people that didn't receive any earnings. You know, it's this isn't some and, small and, operation, right? And those are people who are buying in. So the the company's revenue is coming from its rep base. It's not coming from sales to the public. Now, that's something they, they've tried to work on. They acknowledge that it's not how they want it to be, but that's the plain reality of what they're doing. And it's kind of married, uh, matched by the next company we're going to talk about, Tupperware. You know what Tupperware is. Dylan, we often talk about our age difference, but even being younger than me, you're familiar with Tupperware, I yes. assume? Yes, Tupperware transcends, Dan. <laughs> it is one of those names that just has become the default for an entire category. I feel like it had its heyday in maybe the 80s, maybe even the 70s, but it's still around. And Tupperware kind of created the model of having a party where you play games, there's there's free prizes, and then at the end of the night, someone takes orders. And the positive about Tupperware is it's a very good product. It's, it's a top-of-class product. Everyone probably has some in their house, or if they don't, they have a poor knockoff and they should get some Tupperware. So we're not against it. But the reality is... You pay $99 to join, and you get a 25% discount. So in theory, if you're buying a whole bunch of Tupperware because you just you know got married or bought a house or whatever it is, you might actually sort of come out ahead just on your own purchases. But a 2016 income distribution statement from the company said that 96.9, 96.9 of all participants made less than $500 from August 2015 through May 2016. That's with over 35,000 distributors. So again, a very small percentage are making any real money. Now, some of those people might have just spent the $99 to sell a little bit to friends and family and buy themselves. Clearly, not all of them have tried to make this a side hustle or a business. For some of them, it might just be kind of a a discount plan. But if you think you're going to start selling Tupperware and, and turn it into a meaningful business, the numbers are very much against you. Yeah, there is this common line in MLM uh, parlance where they say that a large portion of the distributors are hobbyists that enjoy getting discounts on the products they'd be buying anyways. And I'm going to quote directly from a piece of Herbalife literature, quote, most people join only to receive a discount on Herbalife products and do not participate in the business, talking about their distributors. Um, I take some exception to that because I think the way that these are generally pitched is this is a business opportunity this is a way for you to quit your job you can have you know some fancy car in your driveway and tell your boss i'm done uh, so so that's kind of at odds with that but that is how they talk about some of those numbers and i think that's true to some extent i don't think it's true for you know, yeah and it, it does feel like they should separate those businesses if they want to offer a membership program where you have the right to sell to friends and families and you get a discount, you should be opting into that program and not sort of the overall model of this is going to be something you do, even if it was only so they could honestly say what their sales force is versus you know what their 
you know, what their membership is. I'm a member of Costco. I could, in theory, become a business. If you have a, a selling license, it varies in every state what you need, you could go to Costco and buy a case of Coca-Cola or a box of Milky Ways and resell them and make a profit compared to what they charge for one individual can of soda in most places. But most people aren't joining Costco for that reason. In the case of Herbalife for Tupperware, I think it's fair to say that the vast majority start out thinking it's going to be a business for them. Yeah, and so that we're not just picking on some publicly traded companies, Rodan and Fields, the skincare company, had over 400,000 enrolled consultants in 2018. Over 200,000 of them received payment, which is about 54%, in at least one month for sales that occurred during 2018. And of the people that did receive income from Rodan and Fields, half earned less than six hundred dollars. So, so again, those numbers that we threw out there, um, you know, broad strokes, they seem to jive more or less with what we're seeing from these companies specifically, Dan. Yeah, and we're seeing the same thing over and over. And and part of your research was looking at uh, Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett's Pampered Chef Company, a company using this model, and sort of how they present the business. To the public, so so there's no one more reputable than than Warren Buffett, but Pampered Chef is showing is using marketing materials. You know, see what you can earn. Your your earning potential is endless, and they show charts and graphics about how you could make all sorts of money. And the reality is, and we keep saying this, you could make all sorts of money. Technically, that ability is part of the program, but the reality, and we see it company after company, public or private, is that you're not going to make that kind of money. And if you're happy just making a little bit and bringing some of these products because you really love Pampered Chef and you want your friends and family to have it or you use it yourself, you really have to think about sort of what you're getting out of it and what the company's getting out of it. Yeah, just to put some numbers to what you're talking about with Pampered Chef, um, they estimate that at three to six hours per week, you could be pulling in an average monthly income of between $600 and $1,100 for eight to 15 hours per week. You could be Pulling in fourteen hundred to eighteen thousand dollars in average monthly income—a far cry from what we're seeing from some other vendors. And when we talk Pampered Chef, it is impossible for us to look at those numbers and then look at the actuals because, in doing research for this show, I couldn't find a disclosure of income summary for the Pampered Chef sellers. My hunch, though, is that it's pretty in line with what we've seen with these other folks. And I think that's a red flag. If, if you've decided, hey, I'm great at sales, I want to be in this type of business, I think you want to look for companies that disclose numbers. And the reality is the vast majority of them don't. They're more than willing to show you best case scenario, but they're not willing to say, hey, over 90% of people don't make meaningful money. Or in some cases, 99% of people don't make meaningful money. So really ask those questions. If you're being recruited by a company to do this or you're in discussions on it, push back and say, hey, can you give me beyond these three people who have done really well, what does the average person make in their first year? You know, Not their first month, which is going to be easy, but the first year where it's going to start to get hard. Yeah, and and I don't disagree with you, Dan. I think that there definitely are people in the MLM industry that make a considerable amount of money. I mean, you think about the structure and how you are receiving commissions on the people below you who are placing orders to ultimately sell stuff. Yeah, if you get enough people in your downline, it totally makes sense that you're pulling in some serious money. I think, though, that MLMs tend to be very top-heavy in their compensation, and a lot of the wealth that's being generated for those folks comes from people that are being pitched the idea that, you can start your own business, and it doesn't cost all that much. And um, I, I, I have a problem with that as an investor. 
Yeah, and I think it's it's fair to say they're only showing you the rosy side of it. You know, that like, and, and that's true of anything. If you're looking at a franchise, if you're going to open a convenience store, they're not going to show you the three people that failed where it, where it didn't work out well. They're going to present the, the average person makes this and here's what their investment pays off. And in this case, I think it's hard to ignore that chances are you will be paying them money and not getting anything in return. Again, that's fabulous if all you want is a discount and to to play around with doing a little sales. But before you think this is a way to make a living, realize that this is a very difficult side hustle. This is not, I drive someone from here to there and get X amount of money. This is you only get paid if you sell. And in many cases, you have upfront costs that are somewhat significant. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot to work through. Um, listeners, if you are interested in more on the MLM space, uh, John Oliver has done a remarkable 30-minute breakdown of MLMs and the industry. Uh, I would also highly recommend you check out the podcast, The Dream. It covers the history of the industry, gives a look at the culture and how it impacts a lot of the people that do become distributors. So, If you want more on this discussion, those folks have done an incredible job of painting a picture of what the industry looks like. Um, Dan, anything else before I let you go today? Uh, well, Dylan, now is when I tell you I'm leaving in order to start. No, just kidding. <laughs> that, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, all I want to tell people here is don't get sucked into the dream. If you want to build a business, do your homework. Talk to other people who do this and find something that isn't just what the company is feeding you. And if you do all that homework and talk to lots of people in lots of different areas and believe you can make money selling Tupperware or knives or whatever it happens to be, then then go for it and give it a shot. But be very skeptical and don't just pay your money on sort of the idea that you'll have financial independence. Yeah, I would say hunt for the numbers and know yourself, right? You know, if you're someone who is not a natural salesperson, perhaps that you're not going to become one overnight just because you have this inventory on hand to sell. You know, you got to know what your strengths are and kind of play to them. Yeah, and you got to think about your comfort level talking to strangers. I mean, Asking for a sale is hard to do for a trained salesman. So if your training comes from watching some videos online or reading some training materials, you got to think twice before getting into this type of business. Yeah. Sage advice. Thanks for hopping on the show today, Dan. Thanks for having me. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email over at industryfocus at fool.com, or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you want more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes, or you can catch the videos from this podcast over on YouTube. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass. For Dan Klein, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. 